The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. So glad to be here, and good afternoon, everyone. Oh, you are laid back. See, I figured you slept in and, you know, but... But uh, no, good to see. Actually, at Grace in Houston, where we pastor, we, we do four on Sunday, and the last is at one o'clock. So uh, I give you something to shoot for those that are not early weekend risers. Imagine if this had started at one, another hour. <laughs> hey, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I see a lot of uh, faces I do not recognize, though I do have history with the church. So uh, just to tell you who I am, my name is Scott Jones, and I have the distinct privilege of being the brother to the pastor's wife of this church. Patty Johnson is my, my big sister. So uh, the Johnson family is on a vacation. Let me tell you, people can preach good from here, but most of our good preaching is done when we're not up here. It's how we live and the Johnson family, I'm starting to think these people actually like each other. They work together, live together, and then they even vacation together. And when you're willing to go with three sons-in-law on vacation, there must be something to it. So, you know, they're on a great vacation, and Pastor Rex reached out and asked if I'd pinch hit. And I'm always happy to come to CLC because I happen to think, actually, I know this is by far the second best church in the nation right here. So... <laughs> <clears throat> um, if you're visiting, please come back and meet the pastor and his family and uh, hear, uh, in other words, don't judge CLC based off of this. I've only had uh, 30-something years experience, and he's much, much, much older than I am, <laughs> and uh, you'll get much more experience. Let me jump in. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been here on a weekend. Uh, I come as often as I'm invited, so there you go. I don't know what's up with my brother-in-law. I want to read from Genesis chapter number 41 and uh, just share a couple of verses with you. And I told the other two crowds, my services, my sermons are not long. They, they just seem that way. So uh, I'll have you out of here uh, and not long. So Genesis 41 verse 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the year of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being in CLC today. This is a great church with some of the finest people in shoe leather. I ask that you would strengthen me and that you would touch them, God. Let me uh, just be a voice piece to speak your word, not my agenda, but yours. But let everyone be a hearer and then a doer of the word. And I thank you in advance for doing what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just want to jump in with this, this thought right here. My expectations often determine what I receive in life. My expectations often determine what I receive in life. Two people can go to the same uh, event, same experience, and walk out and have two different results. And the fact of the matter is, it's up to expectation. Two people can come to the same church service. One can walk out when it's over and just say, whoa, from the moment I walked in, I felt God. He was so real, so evident. And the worship, oh man, 
uh, Randy and the crew, I was so moved by the songs and the, and the powerful message of the songs. And then the message, especially this weekend, the message, oh, it was so powerful and so strong. And I, I felt like God was speaking directly to me. And oh, and, and right next to him, somebody walk out and say, you know, if we hurry, we can catch the two o'clock show of that movie. Were we at the same thing? Yeah, but it's expectation. Think, think of it this way. Uh, two birds. A hummingbird is a bird, a small little creature that flies around looking for sweet stuff, looking for nectar. And it's, it's motivated, searching, looking for nectar. And then you, you have another bird, a much bigger bird, a buzzard who is flying around looking for roadkill, looking for dead stuff, looking for where, where there was life but there isn't anymore. And the amazing thing is hummingbirds find nectar and buzzards find dead stuff. You usually find what you're looking for. The question is, are you a hummingbird or a buzzard? Because you're not going to be disappointed beyond the level of your expectation. If you look for it, you'll find it. You'll either find the good or you'll find the negative. It's what you're looking for. I say that because the story we're reading here is the story of Joseph, a guy that, um, I mean, literally his life is, is Hollywood worthy. It, it's a movie in the making. What he went through, what he experienced uh, betrayed by his own blood brothers. They turned their back on him. They resented him, and, and they betrayed him, and then it's a long series of events. It really is. It's, it's, it's movie-worthy. And, and, and then he goes through a series, and then what I read to you is in Egypt, which is not his homeland, he has two children by an Egyptian woman, and, and he names them. Now, the naming of a child in Old Testament times was very significant. Now, nowadays, uh, and I see a couple of little newcomers right here on the front row. Nowadays, when you find out you're expecting, you usually get two books. Number one book is what to expect when you're expecting. And uh, I'll tell you what to expect. You're going to get big, really, really, really big. Your feet are going to swell. You're not going to feel good. And it's going to cost you much more than you thought it was going to cost you. (laughs) And if you have a girl, they cost a lot more than boys. I just, just tell you right now. I just wanted to encourage these two families here on the front row. <laughs> Blessings. <laughs> Pastor will be back next week. But then the second book you're going to get is the name book, the baby name book. What are we going to name the baby? What are we going to name the baby? How, how are, we going, are we going to use a family name? Are we going to come up with a family name? Or let's get a name that means something. And now the creativity of names, what we come up with. You know, uh, there, there's, you know every name means something. It means, uh, uh, you know... Small fawn by a bubbling brook on a sunny day. It just, just, whatever happened to Bob? Uh, My name's Scott. I I wondered, I asked my mother one time, what's the meaning of the name Scott? I don't know. Well, where did it come from? Did we have a family member named Scott? Was there a, you know, maybe there's a a war hero or somebody? She said, no, there was just a neighborhood kid named Scott, and I thought he was a nice kid. So (laughs) appreciate the thought, Mom. Thank you. Thank you. In Bible days, the Old Testament time, the naming of a child often represented the sentiments or the thought process of the father at the time of birth or the parent at the time of birth. A prime example would be Jacob. Jacob was a twin, and when he was born, uh, uh, the first child, it was two boys, uh, and the first twin, the first one was born and, and arrived first, and uh, he was kind of real hairy, just had a lot of peach fuzz hair on him. And so they named him Esau, which means hairy. 
And, and then, but as, as Harry was being born, as Esau was being born, he was holding, the next brother was holding on to Esau's heel, literally had a grip, as if was trying to say, if I can pull you back and get it, I want, I'd like to be first. I want to be the firstborn. And there was a lot of significance in being the firstborn son versus being the secondborn son. And, and so they named the second one who had the heel, who had grabbed the heel, Jacob, which means he who grabs heels. <laughs> heel grabber. They named him Jacob based off the circumstances at the time of his birth. The problem is, is Jacob means more than that, more than heel grabber. It means someone who'll do whatever it takes to get ahead, supplanter, cheater, basically. What, whatever I can do, I want to get to the front of the line. I don't want to wait in line. It's like at the DMV. Whatever I can do to get up there, that, that's Jacob. So he lived his life being named by the circumstances around his birth. And then one night, as a grown man, he has a wrestling match with God and says, God, I'm not going to let go of you, this messenger from heaven, until you bless me. And God's blessing to him was, he asked, what is your name? As if God doesn't know. He said, my name is Jacob, heel grabber. I've been labeled all my life based off of one circumstance in my life. Wow, that's not been my message this weekend, but isn't that uncanny? You can have one bad day and people put a label on you for the rest of your life. And God says, here's my blessing to you. You're no longer Jacob. From now on, you are Israel. You are a prevailing prince with God and man. And when God changed his name, it changed his identity, and everything changed. Well, now fast forward. His wife, whom he loves so much, Rachel, is giving birth to a boy, their last child. It's a male child, and as the child's being born, Rachel goes through major complications at childbirth. In fact, she does die. But right before she dies, giving birth to this child, she holds the little baby and names him. And she names him Benoni, which means the son of my sorrow, the cause of my sorrow. Can you imagine growing up with that moniker of knowing mama died giving birth to me and my name is I'm the cause of mama's sorrow. And here's Jacob, now Israel, who knows what it's like to have a label put on you like that and he holds the little boy and he looks at his, bo- his wife's body whom he loves so dearly but he just can't do that. And the scripture says in Genesis 35, 18 uh, that she called his name Benoni but his father called him Benjamin. Benjamin means the son of my right hand, that place of authority. You're going to be right here, son. We're going to, you're going to be my partner in that place of authority. And he switched the name. Now, I, I want to say something to you. If, if Jacob, now Israel, knows what it's like to break free from a, from a horrible name and grasp a new name and a new identity would do that, I want to challenge you. Don't ever name what you're going through while you're going through it. Sometimes in life we'll say, I'm going through hell. I'm going through a dark time. 
I'm going through a worst valley of my life. I'm going through, uh, I mean, this, this, is, this is awful what I'm going, don't name it while you're going through it. Because here's what you're going to learn. God has a way of causing those things we thought were for our harm or bad. He causes all things to work together for the good. And most of the things that right now we would label as hell, label as awful, label as dark, someday you're going to get on the other side of it and realize those are some of the best things that ever happened to you. So don't name it while you're going through it. I get on the other side, and what I would have named hell, now I call blessing. I don't want to go through it again, but I will tell you, a lot of good came out of that. I prayed better. I was listening to God more. I was more, more committed to God at that season than any other season. Don't name what you're going through while you're going through it. Now, now we have one of Israel's other sons. His name is Joseph, and he's in Egypt, not by choice, by betrayal, He has sons born to him, and he names them. It's not accidental. It wasn't coincidental. It didn't come out of a baby name book. It came out of his thought process, his logic. The first son he named Manasseh, which simply means forgetting. He said, I want to forget my father's house. I want to forget my brothers. I want to forget all the crud, all the trouble, all the stuff I've been through. The second son, they weren't twins. It was born later. Second son, he named Ephraim saying, I've become fruitful. God has made me fruitful. So it it wasn't random. Here was Joseph's logic. Joseph's logic was this. Before you can experience fruitfulness, you have to be delivered from hardship and trials. Before you can can really maximize who God wants you to be, be fruitful in your life, be productive in your life. Before you can have joy, you, you can't have any area of sorrow. Before you can have fulfillment, you must have no enemies. Before you can be strong in the Lord, you must have no resistance. And so by the birth and the naming of his sons, Joseph set this precedent. And the precedent is before you can be productive, You've got to be delivered from hardship. Before I can be fruitful, I have to forget what I've been through, what others have done to me. It's it's not a bad logic, but it's not God's logic. So track with me here in the story. Now we go to Genesis 48, and in in this Hollywood-type story, God has reunited the family. The brothers are back together. See, if you remember, Joseph's own brothers sold him into slavery. He, He had had a dream, and he was sharing his dreams with his brothers. That was his crime. That was his sin, is he told his brothers, man, I had dreams. And in some of his dreams, he said, I had dreams that you guys came and knelt before me and were looking to me for an answer, and, and that went over really well. In fact, they, they are the ones that sold him out. They resented him because of his dreams. So here, here's another little point, is uh, if God's given you dreams, be careful who you share your dreams with. Because what I have found in life is there are dreamers and there are dream killers, and there's not a lot in the middle. And so these guys resented the dream. That was his crime. He had a dream and he shared it with his own brother. So they sell him out. So he's been separated. They tell dad, dad, a wild animal killed him. So dad thinks he's dead. No one's looking for him. He was sold to a slave caravan. And then from that slave caravan, he was bought like merchandise by a man named Potiphar. And then he goes to a lot of other stuff we'll touch on in a little bit, but through a miraculous series of events, the family's been reunited. His father finds out, my son is still alive. My son is not dead. Uh, His father and family, they all moved to Egypt. 
to escape a famine and and Israel, the old man now, is going to die in Egypt. He's literally, it's like hospice time. He's in a bed, he's, he's about to die, and they're calling in the family to come see daddy one last time. That's the setting. And it's in Genesis 48. In Genesis 48, 11, here comes Joseph and his sons to see dad. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees. They're just little, little guys. And he bowed down with his face to the earth. Now, Joseph was an organized guy. His money wasn't just stuck in his wallet. It was ones face up, then fives face up, then tens. And he, he was structured. He was organized. That, that was one of his giftings was the gift of organization. So what you're about to read is not happenstance, it's very deliberate. Don't miss the power of this story here, what it says. In verse, verse number 12, after he bowed down, verse 13 says, Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, towards Israel's left. Remember, Israel's laying in bed. He's feeble. He's about to die. And Manasseh with his left hand, towards Israel's right. See, to appreciate this, remember that son of my right hand, the right hand was the firstborn blessing. That, that was the greater blessing. I'm one of the few. I'm, I'm a left, how many lefties we got? About 30% of us. The rest of you, you don't, you don't know the world we live in. It's a troubled world. Scissors don't work. Ladles are bent backwards. It's, it, it's, the struggle's real, y'all. But the left hand is a lesser blessing. So what Joseph is doing is getting his boys lined up, going to the elder man so that all that granddad, all that Israel has to do is this. And he can put his right hand right there on the oldest head and he can put his left hand right there on the youngest head. So the firstborn blessing goes to the firstborn and the second blessing to the secondborn. You can, you can picture this in your mind, this elder man laying in his bed. But then watch verse number 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head. Who was the younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head. Catch this phrase, guiding his hands knowingly. Now this isn't even comfortable. This isn't natural. No one does, well, let's pray. He did it knowingly. Don't miss that. He's not senile. He's, he's about to pass on and go see God, but he's not out of his mind. And he does this, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So, so he does this. Now, just to jump over, this is just a side bonus because you had sense to sleep in and come to the late service. So this is free. The most phenomenal thing is how everything in the Old Testament is a type or a shadow or significant of something in the New Testament. And, and when you think about the New Testament, the great thing about the New Testament is when you come to the cross, it's not the first time you were born, it's your second birth that's so important. Well, not think about it later, that might mean something to you. Let, let, me, let me move on. I, I forgot they said third service crowd, not easily impressed, that's my, my bad. All right, let me raise my game. So here he is. He's just like this. 
He's got his arms crossed. And verse 17 says, Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, dad, no. In fact, he says, verse 18, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. He's thinking to himself, if anyone should know, you should know, Dad, because you were the second born, but you and your mother, my grandmother, tricked your father into giving the firstborn blessing to you and not Uncle Esau. And when Uncle Esau figured it out and went to Dad, Dad said, Son, what's been done is done, and I can't take back the blessing. So the firstborn blessing goes to Jacob. I'll give you the lesser blessing. Oh, the power of your words, the power of blessings and curses that are in the tongue. Life and death is in the tongue. We we overestimate and underestimate the power of our words. And so he said, no, Dad, don't do that because if you do it, it's done. Verse 19, but the father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And watch this. And thus he set, everybody say set. He set Ephraim before Manasseh. Joseph had the birth order. Joseph had the name order. But Israel changed the order. Joseph put Manasseh first, but Ephraim set, or Israel set Ephraim before Manasseh. God wants you to experience Ephraim in your life before you experience Manasseh. See, here's God's logic. God's logic is this. I will make you fruitful in the dark times. I'll make you fruitful in the hard times. I'll make you fruitful in the middle of your trial. And then you'll experience deliverance and you'll forget about the pain and you'll find the blessing. Wow. So so think with me. Joseph said Manasseh first. Well, the Manasseh expectation works like this. Manasseh says, if I ever get out of this mess, if I can just get my life put together, then I'm going to step up and plug in and serve God in my church. I know you've been talking about volunteers, Pastor Reed, and I will, I will, but you got to wait because right now, as soon as I go through this divorce, when I get through it, then I'm going to come on strong. God, if I, if I ever get those six numbers and I hit that Powerball, if I, if I get the Powerball, then y'all watch out. I will be a Powerball. If I, if I if I can just get it together, I gotta to get it together. If God will prosper me, and if I can ever afford to, I'll tithe. If I can afford to, I'll do it. If God will give me a spouse, then I'll be complete, I'll be fulfilled, and I'll live my life for Him. If I am if I am paid well, I will work hard. If my if my prayer is answered, oh, I'm gonna celebrate and and give God the glory for the victory. That's that's Manasseh. Ephraim's mindset is different. Ephraim's expectation says, if I'm ever gonna get out of this 
mess. And if I'm ever going to get anything done in my life, I'm going to have to start stepping up and plugging in and serving God right now. Six numbers or no numbers. I'm going to be a Powerball right now. I'm going to, I'm going to be a misfit, but I'm going to be a misfit who serves God and honors God with my life. Uh, Ephraim, he, he says, I'm going to tithe God faithfully, even though I don't know how it's going to happen. And he'll multiply the rest and he'll watch out for me. Ephraim says, I'd like to have a spouse, but even if I don't, I am complete in him and I've got everything I need in God and I can live a fulfilled life. Ephraim says, I'm going to work hard. Someday I'll get better pay. Ephraim says, I'll glorify God before the victory and before my prayer is answered and then God will manifest the answer. See, it's so important, this story, because Joseph set the sequence wrong. And imagine what would have happened had it not been changed. Imagine how miserable his life would have been, always waiting for a reason to be productive or thankful. But instead, the story of Joseph is one who was fruitful, even when he was in a Uh, a foreign land and under affliction and falsely accused and he wasn't where he wanted to be he was in the space between and yet God got glory out of his life fruitful first then we forget Genesis 37 the story goes I'm just going to recap it real quick he's 17 years old and his brothers sell him out they beat him throw him in a pit and then here comes a caravan uh, a human trade caravan and they sell him they sell him out they go home and tell dad a wild animal killed him and there's no search party there's nothing dad thinks he's dead so so he's sold and then he's bought like merchandise by a man named Potiphar and he put to work as a slave you got to catch that as a slave it it wasn't an employment it wasn't by choice he doesn't even want to be in Egypt all he had was a dream But then here he is now, and yet while in slavery, the scripture says Potiphar, his owner, sees the hand of God on him. Is he where he wants to be? But is God with him? Genesis 39.3, and his master, don't miss that word, master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. The master said, that slave is blessed. What is he? Slave. But what does the master see? Blessing. (laughs) His gifting surface and are recognized by others while he's still in bondage. You can't miss that. I'm not saying that because I think I'm preaching over your head. I'm saying it because it's so simple we can miss it. We, send to, we tend to super sensationalize people in scripture. This is a real man living a real hard life. He was in a foreign country he didn't want to be in. He, he was sold out by the ones he thought he could trust the most. He is living a life not by choice. That It was thrust on him. Some of you can relate to that. And yet while he's not where he wants to be and he's not doing what he wants to do and he has no free will of his own they are looking at him and saying I see the hand of God on him then things start looking better he's made the top slave and now he finds himself falsely accused of a sex crime he didn't commit he ran from it and he's accused of rape by a spurned woman who is angry with him 
And he goes from being a slave to being a prisoner. Falsely accused. Was not supposed to be there. And Genesis 39, 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Where is he? Did he want to be there? But God had, uh, the prison keeper could see favor on his life. The warden was saying, you know what? Inmate number 22649 is blessed. I pray this you get a hold of this today. You've got to quit waiting for everything in your life to come together and be just perfect. You've got to quit waiting for the road to always be downhill and green lights. You've got to stop waiting for the cat to always find the litter box. You've got to quit waiting for everybody to behave. You've got to quit waiting for your grown children to stop making dumb choices. You've got to, you got, you got to quit waiting on all that to say, now I'm going to kick it in and now I'm going to serve God and now I'm going to use my gifts and now I'm going to do something for God. You've got to be fruitful where you are even if where you are is not where you want to be. Mm. Here's a word. Say this word was character. Yes, he was in prison that his character was refined. Joseph had two main gifts. Joseph could interpret dreams. He had a gifting for it. You could tell him a dream and he could interpret what it means. The other gift he had, he had the gift of administration. He was a organizing machine. He literally, that's why Potiphar, the slave owner, said, I'm going to make you in charge of all the other slaves. And the scripture, I'm cutting this short. Uh, You read the story and literally Potiphar's house was blessed because of his head slave. Because he was so gifted and he used his gifts while in slavery. Now he's in prison, and if you read the, pri- the story while he's in prison, what you'll find is the warden and everyone said that that cell block where he is is the most organized, structured, and, and cooperative, and, and peaceful cell block out of all the prison because of that inmate. And while he's in prison, see, th- that gift, interpreting dreams, managing households, he had those before trouble hit his life. He had them while trouble hit his life, and he had those same gifts after trouble left his life. That, that's something that's got to sink in today. Your gifting, your talent was not relegated to only work in the zippity doo seasons of life. The gift and the call of God on your life is irrevocable and it will always make room for itself wherever you are. Even if you're not where you want to be, your giftings will work. Even if you're not where you plan to be, your talents were given to be used there. Even if you never dreamed you'd be going through what you're going through, while you're going through it, you're supposed to use your gifts and your talents regardless of where you are. See, character, the character of a seed is built within the seed, not within its environment. If we took an apple seed and rather than plant it in an orchard, we plant it on a trash heap and that tree grows, that tree's not going to grow and start reproducing trash. It's going to reproduce apples because it's not its environment, it's the seed. What in, what's in you is greater than what's around you. 
and, and you're not where you want to be, but that doesn't deny what's in you because what's in you was put there by God and the character within you is greater than the environment around you. Character is within the seed. So Joseph's two giftings of interpreting dreams and managing households, he begins to use those gifts and flourish in those gifts even though he's not where he wants to be. In prison, he used those gifts. Now, I'm going to speak honestly for me. And, and, you know, sometimes at church, we don't want anyone to think that we're really, you know, human. So you can just kind of sit like this and be saintly. And I'll confess for me. Here's what I know about Jones. You sell me out. You fake my death. You hijack my life. I'm a slave. Now I'm an accused slave in prison that I don't deserve. I did not do anything wrong. And I'm in prison. And some joker is going to come up to me and say, Hey, could you minister to me right now? Excuse me? Where are we? This is not 4700 Westgate Boulevard. We are not at church. We are in jail. And I'm not supposed to be here. What do you mean use my gifts? Life is not going my way right now. Interpret your dream. What about my dream? Where's my dream? I told you, you just kind of do this and (laughs) act like you would. I'm talking about me now. This is why you need to be thankful for your pastor because... (laughs) This pastor here, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you want me to organize your stuff? And uh, No, let's talk about my stuff. Interpret your dream. Mine was stolen. I take my marbles and go home. (laughs) But he's doing it. He's in prison using his gifts. How can I minister to you today? Are you where you want to be? No. How can I serve you today? Is this the way you planned life? No, it's not. How can I minister to you today? Is this what you wanted? No, but how can I glorify God today while I'm in prison? Oh, you got... That's not our nature. Our nature nature says, man, God, if you'll you'll just get me out of this, I'm going to turn it on. And God's saying, if you'll just turn it on, you might get out of this. I guess what I'm saying is, you think you're waiting on God. He's actually waiting on you. No, if I just get those six numbers, God, and that bonus seventh number, everything changes. We'll build that building. Really? I can't trust you with a little bit you have now. To whom much is given, much is required. Here's a hint. The requirement often comes first. Back over. If you're visiting next week, the pastor will be back. It'll be fun. Genesis 40, 14. He interprets the dreams of the butler and the baker for Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you didn't want to work for Pharaoh because he could be a bit finicky. And and the butler and the baker, I don't know how he buttled wrong, but he buttled wrong. And the baker, I don't know what he put too much in or too little of, but they both ended up in prison. That's a new version of chopped for the Food Network. (laughs) So they're both in prison. 
And they both come to Joseph saying, you interpret dreams. Can you interpret our dreams? So he does. He interprets the butler's dream, and that one didn't work out too well because basically let him know, uh, you're not going to be with us long. (laughs) And then he spoke to the the, uh, baker and let him know, you're going to be back in Pharaoh's house baking again. And listen to Genesis 40, 14. But remember me when it is well with you. Please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh. Catch this line. Get me out of this house. Oh, you don't want to be here? No. This wasn't in your life plan? No. You didn't journal this in your high school yearbook when you were graduating? No. This wasn't what you dreamed about? No. Get me out of here. While I've been here, I've served others. While I've been here, I've been fruitful, but I don't want to be here. It just doesn't stop me from using my gifts. Notice his next phrase, verse 15. For indeed, I was stolen away. That describes someone here today. Literally, somebody stole your life. You never said, put divorcee down as part of my resume. You'd have never said, add chapter 13. You would have never said, put unemployment down there. You wouldn't have said, two-time loser, add that. You wouldn't have said, addiction, put that in my store. It was stolen away. You had a dream. You had a plan. You had an ambition. Ask any child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Fireman, astronaut, doctor, grand plans. No one ever says, twice divorced. (laughs) My life was stolen away. Get me out of here. How can I serve you? God's removing our excuses for why we're not giving him everything we have now just because everything in our world now is not the way we want it. Two years go by. Two years. And the baker finally remembers Joseph because Pharaoh has a dream he can't interpret. So we said the word character earlier. Now I want you to say this word, promotion. Yeah, it's not original with me. It's an old saying. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. You don't know you have faith until all you have is faith. You don't know you have faith until there's something you got to believe in that it won't happen unless God. That's like loyal. You don't know you're loyal until you've had a chance to be disloyal. Brag, I'm a loyal, you don't know. And you don't know if you've got faith until you need it. And God loves you so much, he wants to promote you. But he will not promote you unless he knows you've covered the material and you know it well. Then he promotes you. And here's the deal, folks. It's an open book test. God tests you so that he can promote you. Now, Satan will tempt you because he wants to fail you. God has your good in mind and wants to elevate you, but he's not going to put you in an area that you don't know how to operate. So until you've learned to operate here, don't expect him to leap jump you up to here so he's trying to promote you but he can't promote you until he has tested you and you've got to catch that so here's Joseph he, he had a dream when he was 17 and he didn't realize I'm not ready for that dream to come to pass yet so he needed betrayal he needed to be sold out he needed to be falsely accused he needed to go through all that so that God could promote him and now seven years after that 
He's prime minister of, e- of Egypt. He's the second man in charge. It's Pharaoh and him. And it's amazing. I'm bringing it to a close. Through a series of circumstances, the brothers, the ones who betrayed him, are now standing in front of him. And they are begging for mercy because of the drought, the famine. And here's what's crazy. They don't recognize him. It's amazing what betrayal, slavery, disappointment, imprisonment will do to you. He doesn't look like a starry-eyed dreamer anymore. But he knows who they are. I wonder how many times he rehearsed what he was going to say to his brother. Now, I know, again, I know you, you wouldn't. You probably, you probably speak in King James, you know. Tis blessed to forgiveth. But Jones says, yeah, I'd be practicing what I'd want to say. If I ever see him again, you've done that. You know that one who stole your dream, your plan? You've practiced what you wanted to say to him. Sometimes you do it on 35 in traffic. You go through. You, you go through. When you're on Mopac, you're, you're saying, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you right. Because they'll come to your mind and you'll start running through. Here, I'd like to, I'd like, I'd like to, I'd say, who do you think you are? I'd, I'd tell you. know, people look over and see you talking to nobody. It's all right. You want to say amen. Just look amen. I know I'm right. We practice what we would say. I, I tell, I like, I'd like to say to him. I'd like to talk to him right now. And, and, and here he, you know, while he was in the prison doing menial chores, he, he was thinking what I'd say to my brothers, what I would do, what I would do. You know he thought about it while he was a slave out of his own will in another country that he didn't even belong in. And through all those circumstances, here they are bowing. And all of a sudden, the struggle is real. Because he starts running through his mind. If, if you read it, he, he literally would leave them and get behind the screen and, and be weeping, struggling, because the humanity says, oh, buddy, I've dreamed about this moment. And then he, and then he comes out. As a matter of fact, and you see some of his humanity because he toys with them. He messes with them. He, he has a, one of his aides hide a valuable object in one of their bags and has one arrested. And, I mean, they are scared senseless. He's just messing with them. You, you, you'd like to do that. Well, y'all wouldn't, but real people like me. In fact, I told the other service, I, I feel if this were me and they were sitting there, I'd, I'm not even a country and western fan, but I, I, I feel the spirit of Toby Keith coming on me. I just like to just step up and go, how do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way. It's real. But he looks at him and he thinks about where he's at and that he'd have never got there. So in Genesis 45, 4, Joseph says to his brothers, please come near to me. So they come near. And he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine? (sighs) He's got the ability, the power, the authority to have their heads removed from their shoulders. But the next two words, but now. Not even five minutes ago. It's certainly not five years ago. 
But now, I just had a light bulb moment. I just did a fast rewind of my life. And I see where I'm at. And I see where you are. And I think about all that I've been through and the fact that God was with me through everything I've been through. And I'm looking at what I faced and I realize I was fruitful even when I wasn't where I wanted to be. And and that for a while there I thought everything's got to be going my way and everything's got to be green light and and then I can be fruitful. But I've learned, I've learned I can be fruitful in a prison. I can be fruitful in enslavement. I can be fruitful even though someone stole my life away. That God used me and that God has been refining me. God has been building me. God has been developing me. And so he says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me. See, he said, I thought you sold me, but now I know God sent me before you to preserve life. He said, I've learned this, guys. I've learned that the power of my calling and my gifting overcomes my circumstances and adversity. And everywhere I've been, I've been interpreting dreams and organizing houses. God has been building me. And now he actually says to the saving of many lives. Literally, I get to save my father's life. I get to save your life. I get to save people from my homeland's life. I could have never, had you never sold me out, I'd have never gotten here. If I'd have never gotten to Egypt, I'd have never been bought by Potiphar. If I'd never been bought by Potiphar, I'd have, I'd have never been accused of rape. Had I never been accused of rape, I'd have never gone to prison. Had I never gone to prison, I'd never met the baker and the and the butler. Had I never met the baker and the butler, I'd never get in front of, of the head man of the entire nation of Egypt. Had I not gotten in front of the head man of Egypt, I'd have never interpreted his dream. Had I not interpreted his dream, I'd have never been able to sit here now and say, bring everybody in. There's plenty of food. God's been faithful and I've been fruitful. God is removing our excuses on why we keep telling him. Now, when that happens, I'm kicking in. When that happens, some I know a man that said, well, if I ever get married, I'm, I'm locking in with God. And then got married and kept the same lifestyle and then finally said, if we ever have a child, then I'm, I'm in. I had a child. If we ever have another, the fact of the matter is, either you is or you ain't. Either you're going to or you're not. There's not a person here from Randy, who is my farthest left, all the way over to the last young lady right over here. Not one of us has life gone exactly the way we would have wanted it. Because if I could write my life, there'd never be a heartache, never be a problem, never be a challenge. It would begin saying, and he lived happily ever after. But that's not life. The author and the finisher brings characters in who are just there for a season and there are people that come in and they're there for one thing to test your faith and they do a good job of it and then they move on but God the author never leaves he keeps working the story he's growing you he's building you and he has hopes that at some point you'll stop waiting like this and say man when it all gets good and he's waiting for you to say okay Instead of me asking, how am I going to get out of this? I need to start asking, what do I need to get out of this? And I need to plug in now.
I need to serve now. Listen, if perfect life was the requirement to be able to serve God with your gifts, there'd be no pastors, there'd be no singers, there'd be no worship leaders because there is no one who has everything going the way they want it. But God is faithful. Stand with me, please. Asking our prayer team to come forward. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you if something I said resonated with you maybe resonated and you would say I'm in that space between right now between what I dreamed and the fulfillment of it and it's rough you can relate to that phrase my life's been stolen away if that's you I just want you to lift one hand just acknowledging basically yeah I'm human and life is tough ask you to raise the other hand. Thank you for your honesty. Now do this. This is the universal, universal sign of surrender. And what we're doing right now is we're surrendering, saying, God, I surrender. I, I've been trying to hold my gifts hostage, telling you, if you'll get it all together for me, then I'll, 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 I'll give you me. But instead, God, I realize I need to give you me first. And if I'll start being fruitful, then you'll help me get over. You'll help me forget can I pray for you right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, you see the hands raised, the hands acknowledging that life is tough, that challenges are real, that people have hurt and offended, that we've made mistakes on our own. But we've got both hands raised because we're surrendering everything to you right now. You wouldn't give us a dream if the dream weren't possible. You wouldn't order our steps unless you had the end in mind. God, I recognize now that you've simply been getting us ready for what you've already got ready for us. That my faith can't be trusted till it's tested. So I pray strength on every person whose hands raised. I pray that, God, they, you would just cause them to release their talents, their gifts, their testimony. There is somebody worse off who needs what they have. And rather than us hold on to our life, our soul, our resource, our gifts, until everything lines up, we give it to you now. Use me now. Imperfections and all, use me now. May I glorify you now with my decisions and my life and my actions. And then, God, you will bring me through. And on the other side, we can say like Joseph, now I know that what the enemy meant for my harm, God used it for my good. In Jesus' name. If that's your prayer, we can say amen.